Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series speaking with the head coaches of our top 10 men's and women's teams entering the 2022 college tennis dual match season. Of course, on today's show, I'm joined by one of the most successful coaches in women's college tennis history. Entering his 26th year at the helm for Duke women's tennis is head coach Jamie Ashworth, who joins me on the show today to help preview his team's 2022 season. Of course, in order to do that, You have to reflect on 2021, and it was a fascinating year for the Duke Blue Devils. 18-7, not the standard they usually set from an overall record standpoint, and yet they still reached another NCAA quarterfinal, got road wins against Baylor and UCF in order to do so, and needed wins, excuse me, and ended up earning them. And so again, this is a team that managed to build some momentum come the end of the year, and they bring back a top three in Chen, Drummy, and Beck that can compete with just about anyone in the country. Of course, they bring in a top five recruiting class as well. So much talent down in Durham had to explore Coach Ashworth's mind about how he prepares that talent for another successful season this year, of course. Also wanted to pick his brain about some of the big topic issues in college tennis. What is the purpose of the fall season? What should we be doing with the NCAA individual tournament? Is it time to reimagine the college tennis calendar? Is it time to reimagine things? like the eight-hour rule and the 25 competitive dates, all of those big topic issues discussed on today's podcast. And I know I'm not supposed to be biased. And the truth is, I really do enjoy every conversation I've had with every coach. One of my big takeaways is just how thoughtful so many of these coaches are. You may think, well, why is college tennis stagnant sometimes? Are they not thinking about the big topic issues? That's absolutely not the case. They just want to get it right before they implement any sort of change. And it's been so uh, revealing and honestly encouraging for me to see the amount of thought so many coaches put into the future of the game. It, it means college tennis is in a good place, and so I can't wait for all of you listeners to hear Coach Ashworth's thoughts. I appreciate his candidness, and this is a really good podcast that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, quick mention, if you want to hear more about this Duke women's tennis season, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Crack Rackets contributor John Parsons and I explain why we have them as our preseason number eight and talk about the very scenarios that could play out for them this season. You can also go hear our conversation about number eight men's team TCU. That's a conversation I have with Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak. You can hear from Coach Roditi here on the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. And you can go read more about these teams on our website, crackedrackets.com. You can go learn more about our number nine teams, number 10 teams as well. And of course, stay tuned as we count down all the way to number one here as we try to prepare all of you listeners for another exciting college tennis season. But you don't want to hear plugs. You want to hear Coach Ashworth's thoughts. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Duke women's tennis head coach, Jamie Ashworth. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But right now it's star time. 
joining us on the podcast once again today. Now a returning champion here on our Cracked Interview Show. Of course, you know him as the head coach of the Duke women's tennis team. Entering year 26 at the helm, it's head coach Jamie Ashworth. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. I remember when uh, people said, "Oh, he was young and and um, <laughs> one of the one of the youngest coaches in college tennis." And our old our old men's coach Jay Lapidus used to always mm-hmm. introduce me as one of the youngest in college tennis. And then I go out recruiting and a place like Eddie Hur this past week or or coming up, and and I look around and I'm like, "Wow, I'm I'm one of the oldest now." So, <laughs> um, but it's it's great to be here, and and thanks for having me. So your first season at Duke as an assistant was '94, '95, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, fun fact for you, I was born October of 95. So, your first oh, coach. Yeah, exactly. So, there's some love for you. But again, with that in mind, and I want to start out here because last time I had you on the show, we focused more on the season and, you know, previewing the NCAA tournament. But 26 years, or, you know, 20, excuse me, not 26 years, more than that <laughs> now. So, you know, you add three on to that. So, now 29 years in one location and 29 years in college tennis, you know, plus, 29 plus years in college tennis. That is a lifetime in the sport. What about it keeps drawing you back? Um, the kids, honestly, the yeah. the the constant changeover of college tennis and, and there's not, nothing stale about it. I mean, every team is new. Every season is new you know, every experience that we have seeing it through, through other people's eyes and, and other teams and new teams. And, um, it's just every season it refreshes you. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the mindset you have to take. I I think it's, it's a tremendous job. It's such a a fun job. Lucky to be in the position that I've been in for as long as I, I have been, but, um, you know, it's the, it's the talking to 16 and 17 year olds and, and seeing stuff through their eyes that kind of, rejuvenates you every year you know you get to the end of the season and you're you know obviously there's only one person that, that that's happy at the end of the season and and um but but you you get that refresh and you get that fresh start every year and so um yes I've been here a long time but there's not that not one day where you can say it's monotonous I'm doing the same thing I'm doing this working with the same people every day and so um you know I'm just fortunate to be to be in the position that I'm in and and to have had the quality of, of people to, to work around our program, including the players that we've had. So it's, it's been great. And you graduated Maryland, I want to say 1994. And you went, I did. Straight, so, so you went straight from there to this Duke assistant job. I, I, again, you have had one job your entire life, and it's been in college tennis. And by the way, I'm incredibly envious. God willing, I'll be able to say the same thing sometime right. down the road. But uh, again, when when you when you think of it in those terms, when you think about your tenure as at Duke and throughout your time, whether it's as an assistant or a head coach, you guys have made it past the second round all but four years. That right. degree of success, what does that say about the program? What does it say not only about your commitment, but obviously the school's commitment to having a successful women's tennis team? Yeah, I mean, it, it starts a hundred percent with the players. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a great great atmosphere. I mean. Duke, you know, a lot of Duke sells itself, to be honest with you, with the, with the academics, with the overall support that we have, um, the ability to keep updating our facilities and and not letting anything here really gets get stagnant from, you know, in, in my time here, we've had a new, you know, new outdoor center, new indoor center. Um, you know, we're, we're set to break ground on, a, on another new indoor here um, come come the end of the spring that should have been done, you know, two 
two years ago minus, minus covid and you know from from video stuff to new locker rooms to, to whatever it is i mean we haven't really been stagnant and so you know we we keep pushing the envelope and you, you've seen a lot of changes in, in in tennis over the 25 years from you know myself and an assistant or as i i, I was an assistant kind of doing everything from conditioning to nutrition to travel now, you know, now support staffs play such a big role in everything we do. And, you know, for every program, I'm not saying that's just for Duke, but, you know, we have a sports psychologist, nutritionist, someone that does our strength and conditioning, academic support. And, and um, you know, having that support staff makes makes your daily life a, a heck of a lot easier than than having to worry about worry about all that. And, and then the, the, the kids, I mean, we've had a great, great kids come in and um you know they're successful on the court and they're tremendously successful off the court and that's one of the kind of the bright spots is seeing where they end up as as young women when they leave here and and the careers they they kind of um go into and, and what they do with their lives and you know it's you, you mentioned you're you're born when i started here but it, it's kind of the same i mean i'm you know i'm seeing some of their their children and their kids and, and meeting them now and so um, it's just a, it's been a great, a great cycle. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have traded it with anything for anything. If you want to measure your tenure as one Alex Gruskin, that's fine with me. <laughs> if that's the measurement you want to just start telling people that works. But go. with all that said, let's have some fun here to start before I put sure. you through the, you know, the ringer. Uh, you've coached, obviously, a lot of matches, have had so much success throughout the course of your career. If you could re-coach one match, what's the one you pick? Wow, there's there's matches that I think about. You obviously remember the losses a heck of a lot, <laughs> yeah. heck of a lot more than the wins. Um, um, it's interesting. There's there's a couple um, regular season matches, um, you know, that I think that we would that I would love to do differently. Um, you know, as far as as big um, as big tournament matches go, there was a you know there's an NCAA semifinal match. I remember at Stanford um, sure. when between the two of us, I mean we had we had Vanessa Webb, Karen Miller, they had Lilia Osterlo and Kramer. Yeah. Um, I mean that match like that when we ended up with I think we had between the two of us there were there were six or seven kids that ended up being top 150 in the world. Um, you know, that's, that's probably one of the best teams that we've had that didn't, that didn't make it to the, to the finals. Um, you know, I think there was a ACC tournament match against Miami a couple of years ago, um, where, where I would love to, to redo that one, but, but we learn from those and we grow and, and we move on. I don't, we honestly, I don't dwell on a lot of past matches. I mean, everything is just so, so different every time you take the court. Um, but in my head, those, those come to mind right away. The, those losses um you know when you get to tournament time there's so many things that can that can happen and so um you know we're, we're just again fortunate to be there um you know one of the best best runs we ever had was we had a year with five players and mm-hmm. and um you know surprised a lot of people by getting to the round of 16 with, with five players and and uh, but that team played with you know a tremendous amount of heart and so um, you know, there's not a lot of, I don't have a lot of regrets in things that we've done over matches, um, you know, which is, is great to be able to say. I was, we had Lava Valverde on the podcast not too long ago, and she said if she could replay any match, it'd be the 2009 conference tournament match where you guys beat them 4-3 because I think they'd beaten you 5-2 earlier in the year or something like that. And she was like, 
us losing that match broke our confidence. She was like, we had them. We we owned Duke. We thought we were going to, you know, we saw them again in the NCAA tournament. If we beat them there, we beat them again. And yeah. she's like, that's the match I would have replayed. And I'm, I'm curious I, for you if you remember that match. I do remember that match. And, and I felt the same thing. I said, you know, when the draw came out for the for the NCAA tournament, I felt like, the winner of that match had a great chance to win the whole thing. And, and um, you know, we actually in the NCAA tournament handled them a lot easier than the ACC tournament. And I think that that came out of that win three weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we just, we, we played with so much confidence having, having beaten them. And when you looked across the board in that NCAA tournament, you know, I think we won five first sets fairly easily. And, and, um, but I think that grew out of, of what we did at the, at the um, ACC tournament and, um, you know, she was, a, she was a heck of a player. I think we played her in the, the finals of the individual tournament as well. Mallory Cecil that year and, mm-hmm. and, um, great coach and, and, but, but yeah, that, that, you know, you can grow from those matches a, a lot. Mm-hmm. No, and I definitely want to ask more CISO-related questions, but the reason I set <laughs> all that up is the way to get into the 2021 season a year yeah. that was interesting by Duke standards. Now, I believe it was your worst conference record since I want to say 2012 or 13, something like that. And yet, you go on the road at Baylor, you beat them 4-3. You're on the road in Orlando against UCF in the round of 16, you beat them 4-3. There was a 30-minute stretch in that NCAA quarterfinal where, and I remember because I had to record a podcast because I was just too far behind, and I was like, after North Carolina, I'll be honest, North Carolina took the doubles, and I said, perfect. I can go record this podcast. I can crank it out. I don't have to go to bed at 4 a.m. This is perfect. And then I look up on the screen, and I kid you not, I stop the show because I say, oh, my God. You know, Meebles won the first set 6-love. Georgia won the first set 6-4. Carolina won the first set 7-5. Kelly's up big in the second set on Devatella. Holy shit. Duke might win this match. And I had to put it down. I had to go back out on the courts and just watch it all unfold. And, you know, you talk about, you know, building belief in your team and what, uh, you know, matches like that can do. What does that run do for your team? What was that run like all season, given, again, some of the struggles you guys had throughout the course of the year? Yeah, and don't um, don't sell Chloe back short in that exactly, either. Exactly. She, yeah. she was um, cruised. She just cruised. Yeah, everything we did last year, and and um, yeah, it was you know it wasn't the, the the best of years. We didn't start off great with not not um, getting into national team indoors. I think that was a little a little blow to our our confidence right from the start. You know, I think that we went into that. We, we went down to Georgia Tech thinking that we were the best team there and and gave ourselves opportunities, to be honest with you. If you look at that match against Georgia Tech that we lost and, and a couple others during the season, we had we actually had team match points. You know, we had team match points there. We had team match points against Georgia Tech during the regular season. We had um, an NC State match, a regular season match. Um, we, lo- we lose 4-3 and we're up 5-2 in the third of the last match. And, you know, so I think we put ourselves in position all, all year and all season. And, and we just came out on the short end of a lot of those. And, and um, you know, I think we learned from it. We grew from it. I think the, the leadership that, that Mabel had and, and Kelly had um, didn't really let us deter from what we wanted to do. We knew we had been beat, but, but it was let's, let's learn from that. Let's grow from that. Um, I think the one loss that really that really got us was the ACC tournament loss to Virginia. I don't think we played well. I don't think we competed well. 
And it was really, I know it was late in the year, but I, I it was the first time that I sat them down and really let them have it mm-hmm. after the match. And um, I'm not one that does that a lot. And so when I do that, I think I, it, it garners their attention. And, and um, you know, we came back and had a really good two weeks of practice. And, and um, I, I, going into Baylor, you know, we, 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 pulled some of the, some matches out there as well. You know, I think, I think, um, you know, when you look across the, the, the board at our season last year, we didn't, you know, we didn't get beat badly at all. I mean, I think, you know, maybe the one at UNC, um, a regular season match at, at UNC, but, but we were in every match and gave ourselves opportunities every match. And we kept, we kept telling them they just have to believe and, and have to believe. And, you know, they, they did a great job of putting it together in the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, I think that we were excited to be there. I think that that um, you know, playing playing down in and that UCF match was a great experience for for everybody on our team. They had a good crowd there. We knew that we were going to get a night match there playing them. Um, we had a little experience from the last time the NCAs were there playing playing at night. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, we we've gotten those night matches every time <laughs> down there, and and so playing that was was really nothing new, and so. Um, you know, I think we went into that Carolina match with with no fear. I mean, I don't think there's definitely a, a respect level. We respect what well, everybody we play, and I, I, you know, Brian's done done a hell of a job at, at UNC the, these last couple of years. And um, you know, but we had a long talk before that match. We sat around a little before that thing started, and we, we you know, we brought the team together and and had a long talk an hour before the match about, about what we want to do and our expectations. And, and we just went out and played, played free. And, you know, you said you, you stepped out, you know, the doubles ones, we were actually up in the doubles too. We were, you know, we, we were up, um, it was one match all and we're up five, four with, with um, Chen and, and drummy returning serve and Sanford played a, had four first serves and had a great service game there. And, and, um, I don't think I don't think there was one moment in that match where we wavered in our belief, which was which was huge for for us. And and um, you know I don't think that we walked away from that match happy at all. You know I, I think a lot of teams could have been satisfied with that effort, and I don't think we were. And I think that's that's kind of um, still on our mind entering you know entering January of this year. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that mindset, but looking at again last season's team, doubles, drummy. Back chi. That's the recipe to four. And it, it works two ways. A, you feel very good when you're like, well, we've won, you know, 75% of all of our doubles flights. And, you know, mm-hmm. our worst flight two through four singles is 19 at five at the number two spot. You guys had a match calculus that worked. That said, you know, what sort of pressure does that put on those three players? What sort of pressure does that put on the rest of the team? And how do you guys, from a coaching aspect, go about addressing that fact where, yeah, you have a clear strength, but obviously, you know, that strength, you know, that's just such a narrow recipe to right, find for. Right. Yeah, no, it was a clear, um, a clear path. And, and you, you, we leaned on, on three people way too much, to be honest with you. I think that it, it was clear, but it's a recipe that can't work, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's something that, that we have to be better at across the board. We have to know that we can win in all six positions and win, win um, you know, with, with our doubles as well. And um, you can't you can't ever rely on think, OK, my teammate will take care of it for me today. And, and um, you know, I do think we got into that a little bit little bit too much and and those three came up huge for us to be honest with you every they dug deep and every time we needed them they came through 
um, you know, and, and, um, and, and with our doubles as well. And so um, that's not something that we're, we're looking to going into this year is relying on three people. I think we need to rely on eight people and, and, um, and, and hope for the best. And if someone has an off day, great, their, their teammate will pick them up or, or, you know, and that's part of being on a team and part of being, that's the, the joy of college tennis is, you know, you may, you may have an off day, but you have five teammates or, or seven teammates that'll, that'll pick you up. And um, yes, it was successful. And, and we, we leaned on that heavily, but, but it's not something I want to, I want to do <laughs> heading into this year again. And, you know, we, you know, one of those people, you look at, you know, the, the matches we lost, it's typically, like you said, you know, one of the, those people lost or got beat in the, in those matches. And so, um, you know, I think we have to be stronger than that and we have to, to show our depth a little bit more than that this year. The word unique is overused nowadays. I, I had a class, there's an author, John Bacon, who wrote a bunch of books on Michigan sports history, et cetera, et cetera. And he was a professor, you know, he would teach one semester and I got to take his class freshman year, my first semester with my older brother, which was quite the experience. And, you know, that was a humble brag right there. But, you know, he used to always say, A, you're not getting a haircut, you're getting your hairs cut. Because unless they're cutting a single hair, which at this point for me, they kind of do, you know, you're getting the hairs cut. The other thing he used to always say is don't use the word unique because it's overused for something to be unique. It needs to be one of a kind. I would argue Chloe Beck's game style is unique. And I'm curious for you again. 18 and three in dual matches, 20 and five overall last season. Her freshman year cut off short due to the pandemic, but she was a blue chip recruit. She was someone who had a ton of success prior to arriving on campus. That said, 2021 felt like a breakout year for her. What clicked so well, and is it safe to say it's for me? It's the game style. It's just she is someone who will throw everything at you, and it's really hard to find rhythm in, against that sort of opponent. Yeah, I think with Chloe, I mean, Chloe is obviously a tremendous, tremendous tennis player, tremendous um, person on the court and off the court. And, and when she's in the, the right frame of mind and when she is um, in a good place and uh, I hate to say happy, that's a, such a, a big thing to say, but when she's when she's great off the court, she's even better on the court. And, and um, you know, I think that she like really relished the role she was in. She knew, you know, she's still relatively young but she's she's a leader on our team she fights she competes hard every day i i don't think um in all my time here i mean she's definitely in the top five that we've had as far as practice players go um and and bringing it every time she's on the court whether that's an hour whether that's that's three hours and and you know she's she just gives it all every single time and and it shows and it, it shows in her game and it shows with how she competes and um you know she i i I can't say I've ever seen her not leave everything she has on the court in a, in a dual match situation. I mean, you know, uh, not many people know last year she, um, in February, she actually sliced her hand with a bagel cutter and went right through, um, right through her hand and, um, needed stitches in her hand. And we, we lost a couple, couple matches in there without her. And she came back against, um, NC state and, um, in the dual match we played against NC state and that was her, her first match back. And, had her hand taped up and, you know, the doctor said, you can't, you can't do any more damage to it. And so wanted to play and, and fought to, to be able to play, but halfway through the match literally had, had blood dripping down her hand through the, through the bandages, through everything. They had to, you know, stop the match because of the bleeding and she's visibly upset on, on the, on the changeover. And, you know, I said to her, you know, is it because of the pain? And she, not one thing about the pain. It was, I don't want to let my teammates down in this match. 
you know, and I need to be out here for my teammates and, um, you know, obviously in pain, obviously with, I, I'm, I, I have a fear of blood. And so blood dripping, <laughs> dripping down her arm, literally dripping onto the court. And, um, her biggest concern is not her hand tearing, re tearing open the stitches, but, but she's, that she's going to let her teammates down. And, and, um, you know, I think that says a lot about what kind of person she is and what kind of uh, player she is, because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, males and females. And if that's the situation, it's, it's a, tennis is a selfish sport. And, you know, Hey, if I, if I just rip my hand open again, I'm going to stop and, and worry about it. But it was a hundred percent about her teammates. And, and, um, that just, to me kind of, kind of embodied what kind of person she's been for us and what she's given to our program. You alluded to something there, and I told you beforehand I was going to mix some of these questions in, and we'll get to them heavier towards the end. But, you know, you talk about that commitment in practice. And I know for every coach, it's a balance between finding the right times to ride your team hard and get the most out of a training block and try and encourage and foster the development that they all come to college tennis for. At the same time, they're student athletes. They're human beings, human beings at 18 to 22 who want to do non-tennis things. And I know there's, you know, that for every coach striking the proper balance is the ultimate question that said, I am curious, and I know these are two separate questions, and I throw yeah. topics at you like Barbara Walters. That's what I do best, <laughs> as you know. Um, but eight-hour rule, 25 competitive dates. With the yeah. modern demands of just those who have, want and aspire to be professional tennis players and the modern demands yeah. of the high levels of college tennis, is that enough, or is it time to reexamine those numbers? No, I think I think for sure it's time to reexamine those. Um, I think when you get in the spring, the the, the – you know, playing matches, but you get enough match play. I think the training block thing is one thing that's tremendously hard in college tennis. Um, you know, you come back, you end your fall season and you have, you get into this eight hour thing. And then, you know, the, these new rules that have been put in place to, to protect the student athletes, honestly, um, you know, about, you can't, you can't practice a week before final exams and, and, and that kind of stuff for, for off season sports. And so like right now, you know, our girls are out there on their own and, and it really punishes the kid that wants to do more and is requesting to do more. And it, and it crushes me as a coach to be able to say, Hey, sorry, I can't do this with you. Um, when you have a kid asking and, and trying to get better and, and, um, you know, I, would love to be able to see a, a actual training block time. I mean, you come in in September and you're playing matches two weeks later. And so, you know, you come back from those tournaments and typically you have a Monday off and, Maybe you, you you don't have a tournament the following weekend, but you do the next weekend. And so you have a 10-day stretch there. But there's no real training block off-season time where where we can work with them. I mean, they have the scariest time for me as a college coach is the time coming up. Um, you know, we have some kids who are, are done exams this coming weekend and they're heading home. And, and you know, you hope and, and think and know and want them to have that commitment to go out there and and work hard for, for five weeks on their own before they come back for the spring. And, um, but it's a time where we really don't have control over what we're doing. And, and, um, like I said, I, I think it really hurts and punishes those kids that want to do more. And, and luckily in our program, we have kids that want to do more and, and it's, it's, it's crushing honestly to say, Hey, sorry, we can't hit with you today or we can't work with you today or, or, or that kind of thing. And there, there needs to be a, you would think that there'd be a way where through compliance or something, they can show that they've requested something or, you know, they're asking about hitting and it's not, not that pressure coming from, Hey, my coaches are making me do it. Um, you know, we rarely get 
than a situation here where I think our kids are where they, where they think we're making them do something. I mean, it's just the kind of kind of player that that we have are, are kids that want to be out there and want to get better. And so, um, you know, I would love to see that those rules open up a little bit and, and change a little bit and allow us to to do things, especially for those kids that want to want to be out there on the courts. To the point you made, the fact that a coach ever has to tell a player, oh, I'm not allowed to hit with you right now, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. And I understand, of course, it's about protecting the players, and yes, there would be coaches who abuse it, and fundamentally, that's the problem. But I agree, in the online era, can't there be a form where they submit a request to compliance, I would like to work with a coach from for an hour and a half today, is that possible? And it's just yeah. like, that feels like it's something we are capable of doing, and you know, again, in particular, I'm sure on your roster this past off season, and I, I do want to ask what it was, you know, in general, uh, for players like a Kelly Chen who did not have the 2021 20, you know performance that she has held herself to earlier in her career. Even you know, again, up and down the lineup, players who are going to be playing five, six singles, competing for that spot, whether it's you know Margarita or Carolina or just you know any of the other returners. How frustrating, or not frustrating, but I suppose how how driven have they been to put in that work, given the frustrations from perhaps their 2021 season? Yeah, no, I, I think we've had we've we, we've spent the time on the on the courts, and um, that's what it makes it even harder going into this time now, where we just all of a sudden have to cut it off and say no, sorry, yeah. um, you know, and and um, if you have good leadership you know, and you have some seniors that can do things the right way and know what you want, they can, you know, they can run practices on their own and run team stuff and drills and, and that kind of stuff. It's the individual attention, which, which, you know, when you're working on stroke development or you're trying to make a little change here or there, when, you know, and when you've been working on that, you know, we've been working on someone serve for the past two weeks and, you know, since our fall season ended or three weeks and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, now, I trust that you can do this by yourself. Um, you know, we, we have a group of girls that, that are hungry. You know, we, we, you know, like I said, that the way we ended our season last year, we, we, you know, we, we definitely played our best tennis at the end of the year. We want to build on that. And we, you know, and so, um, you know, we can always get better and, um, but you have to have the right kids. And so, you know, whether it's a, a, a Chen or Beck or whether it's, you know, people like you said, that, that, that played toward the bottom of our lineup last year, um, you know, like a Carolina who, who are striving to get better, you know, and they want to, they want to not, not just for us, but prove to themselves that they can get better too. And they have that drive. It's, it's encouraging to see as a coach and great to see, but, but like I said, this time of year is a frustrating time. So what do you think went awry with Kelly last year? That's the way I'll put it because I was at the 2020 indoors. She was excellent. Like she was playing so well in Chicago. And I don't think it was a transition as simple as going from three to one is harder for everyone else. I don't think it's just that simple. I don't think she, you know, because we saw against Baylor clinches the match, takes the set against Sarah. She was starting to find that level at the end of the season. Now you look at the stats she's put up this fall. And again, it's still very, very early, but you know, it it was a fine fall, I suppose, for her. I think you look overall nine and five uh, here uh, in the 14 singles match matches she played yeah what what went a little bit wrong for her last season how do you correct the course this year you know I think she put too much emphasis on the individual performance I think on the on the rankings um this is a kid that's been um numbers based ranking it's just how she thinks and um you know a loss here or there I think she went into some matches and let kind of the noise get to her a little bit sure. and and didn't take care of the most important things which were the the point 
you know, and, you know, what is my coach going to think if I lose this match? What are my teammates going to think if I lose this match? What is my, what are my parents going to think or family going to think and what's going to happen to my ranking? And, and those became the, the, the most important factors. Um, and the point, the actual point she was playing match she was playing at the time became the became the the least significant thing on the court you know and I think as the season went on I think she she realized that and you can sit there and talk about it and say hey don't look at the rankings and do this but you know kids are going to do it and it's out there for them to see and and teammates see it and their friends see it at other schools and, and that kind of stuff and you know ironically I think she started to play her best tennis last year once the the ranking the last ranking period ended you know, and she knew she was going to be in the NCAA tournament. You know, I said to her, look, it doesn't matter anymore. If you go out and win this match, lose this match, you're, you're in the tournament. You're not going to move in the rankings. You're not going to do this. Just go play. And she did that. And she saw what happens when she when she just goes and plays. And, you know, I think that um, I think heading into this year, I think that that's that's the biggest focus for her is let's just go play and and let the results take care of themselves. And let's make sure that the noise is becomes as, as minimal as it can possibly be. And let's make sure when you're on the court, the point is the most important thing that, that you're thinking about, not, you know, the ranking or what number I'm playing or, or who I'm playing or that kind of thing. But let, let's make sure and focus on the actual point. And um, when you do that, for, for all our girls, but Kelly in particular last year and, and heading into this year, when the point becomes the most important thing, then then we can do what we do best. You know, and when we're worrying about all these other outside factors and when the noise becomes a factor and when when the outside factors kind of take control of what we're doing on the court, the point becomes the least important thing in, in our mind. And 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 we struggle and we and lose confidence and we you know, that's when you can choke. That's when you can tank. I'm not, not saying our kids tank or, or choke, but that's those are things that can happen in those situations. And so um, I think it's important for her just to play the points and 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 kind of keep everything else at bay and, and try and do your best to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm sure, does it help her in your in these postseason, uh, you know, post, yeah, season, I suppose, conversations to say, look, you know, George is 18 and three, Chloe's 18 and three, the help is there. Is that something you think as well, just given she was one of the veterans last season and now coming into this year, she really is the most experienced player on the roster. Yeah, I, I think so. I think she realizes that. I think she has a lot of self-realization. I don't think it's someone something I need to to sit down and say, Kelly, look, your teammates are thirty-six and six, or you know, yeah. whatever combined. Like you need to pick it up, that kind of thing. I think also the another factor for that I, I should have mentioned for Kelly is she plays much better in when there's people around. To be honest with you, and okay. and we had no no crowds last year. We're you know here at all. We had no no fans at home, and um, when we got into places like a Baylor. Um, like a UCF, she could feed off of those those people a little bit, whether they're cheering against her for her, and and um, I think that that played a huge factor in it as well. She's in it, she's in it for her team, not so much much as an individual. But um, yeah, I think she realized what her teammates are doing, and and I think she realized that the numbers that they're putting up, and she's very perceptive, and so. Um, you know, I think that 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 that's something going forward that 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 she needs, and 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 she knows that she has a big role on this team, and and you know, and she did last year, and and needs to to kind of you know, I don't think in one way she was satisfied with the year she put up last year, you know, and so um, you know, she's excited to to get back out there, and she's been talking about the team season honestly since since July, and kind of 
didn't mention the fall at all, to be honest with you, and, and was so looking forward to getting this team season started. So We'll hold that thought on the fall because we are going to get back to that. But as we now turn the page towards 2022, you've had a yep. lot of good teams, many a Final Four appearances, obviously, the 2009 NCAA champions as well. When you look at that top three, because obviously the strength – of college tennis right now you have five classes of high school graduates still eligible to play due to the extra covid year depth everyone's got depth you know yeah. at the top of college tennis i should say all the best teams are going to have that depth and you know so frequently it's five and six singles that decide these matches things could be flipped on the head it could be the top of the lineup that decides things over the next couple of years Chen, Georgia Drummy, who we haven't talked about, but certainly first year transferred over from Vanderbilt, has to be considered a success for the Blue Devils. You know, Chen, Drummy, Beck. Is that top three good enough to get the job done this year, Coach? I think it is, but I think, like you said, I I, I think you win a lot of matches not in those places. And, um, you know, those three are going to put up numbers, and and those three are going to have records that, you know, like you mentioned, 18 and 3, 17 and 4, 20 and to whatever i mean they're they're just good enough players to to do that um if we're going to be successful as a team it's gonna it's gonna be a full team effort you know it's not gonna be um we're not gonna win because we're focused on on a few people winning you know and i know that's that's very cliche-ish but it's just it's just not we can't we cannot um, have the success we want to have relying on, on three people. And I, I, I do think we have some more depth. I mean, we lost a great leader in, in, in Mabel, um, you know, but we've got it. We brought in some players that, that can contribute and will contribute right away. Um, and so, you know, we're excited to see, see what they do and excited to see how, how these three kind of, kind of fit into the mold. And, and then you have towards the, towards the people that played towards the bottom of our lineup last year in a, in a Billiken and, and Barankova with, with some experience and, you know, I think a lot to prove. And, um, you know, I think if you ask either of them, um, not, not putting words in their mouth, but they would both probably say they were disappointed with it, with the year they had last year. And, and um, both played great doubles for us. Both were both were top ten in the in the country in doubles, and and um, both were all American doubles players. But but that needs to transfer to to some of the the action in singles. And I think that they're both excited about that opportunity to to prove that. And so um, you know, like like you said, uh, depth isn't going to be an issue for for any team really in the in the you know who's going to compete for for a national title in the top you know 10, 15, 15 in the country. Everybody has depth and. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a plus and a minus the best, the best teams that I've had here at Duke are kind of our smaller teams when everybody knew their role and, and you didn't have those kind of issues. And so, um, you know, making sure everyone on our team, whether you're, you're number one or starting the year at, at number eight understands their role and, and doing their role to the best that they possibly can. And, and when you do that, you're going to, you're going to have success. And I think we have a group that, that, um, you know, in talking with everybody this fall and individually and, you know, I haven't had one conversation where, where they're asking about what number am I going to play or they, I don't think they, I think that's, that's out the window. And I think they realize that, that we have, you know, uh, those three, but we have others too, that are going to, going to compete and, and push those three. I mean, there's a, there's a great chance that those won't be our top three at the, you know, come, come the NCAA tournament. And, and, um, you know, and I think we'll be in a great place if that's the case. 
you talk well you know again talking about some of the new additions and you know you talk about uh margarita carolina contributing in doubles last year you had only three teams play more than two matches together and having talked to as many power five coaches looked at the stats i would say the average is somewhere from seven to ten now again you were at three last season and whenever teams winning over 75 percent you found your duos they know the plays they know the you know the program they're on track you look this fall 12 different doubles pairings you've played so far, Coach. Now, obviously, your work, you know, you lose someone like Meebel Chi who was super successful in doubles, and right away you're going to have to try and find something else that works, and you're trying to incorporate, you know, a couple of newcomers as well in, uh, you know, Emma, Lisa, and Ellie. And so, by the way, Triple E, I see you have a type. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah, what I'm <laughs> starting to learn here in this recruiting class. But, yeah. you know, why 12? Is that just – you know, trying to find a fit? Is that trying to get everyone on board? Is it saying, hey, let's split up the successful duo and have Kelly and Georgia drag these players along to get them up to speed quicker? What's the, the thinking behind that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of mindsets that we took. First was, um, you know, I, 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 um, we honestly probably would have tried more if, if we had the opportunity. <laughs> sure. um, someone asked me the other day when, when I was down at, at Eddie Her. Um, you know, if you played the lineup today, what would your, your, your lineup be? And I said, I, I couldn't tell you what our doubles would be tomorrow. I have no <laughs> idea what our doubles is going to be. And so um, I think we have great doubles players, um, you know, and I think if you said, Hey, put this team together, give me a team that could be top, top five in the country. I could do that in a second, mm-hmm. you know, but I think our goal in doubles is to not rely on one team, two teams, but have three teams that, that can be, that can be really good. And so, um, you know, we, we've used the fall to, to really experiment with doubles teams and game styles and personalities and, and um, see who, who meshes with who. And we know we've had some success with, you know, Chloe and, and Carolina. And we know Mar and Billikens played number one doubles before. And, you know, Kelly in the, in the past has been top five in the, in the country in doubles with us, Sam Harris. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and so, um, you know, I think we, we have the people, but it's, it's a matter of finding the right combinations and the right, the right personalities. I mean, to be honest with you, I did something I've never done before in, in 20 plus years of coaching and, and for our regional event, our, our ITA regionals, um, I didn't tell them the doubles teams till the morning of the tournament, Yeah. you know, and, and I wanted them to, to, you know, you can go out and play a dual match and someone could be sick or hurt and we have to change things around. And so, you know, I wanted them to, to kind of on the fly to be able to, to play with different people and, and play with each other and, and do some different things, but, but know kind of what we're looking for in, in a system. And so, um, you know, we had a good, we had, you know, the way they ran our regional, we had basically we had two teams make the, the semifinals and have some good wins there and, and um, had some opportunities there. And so, um, you know, I, I think you're, I think, like I said, we, we have great doubles players and now it's, it's up to us to, to really work and, and find the, the right combinations, the right personalities, the right teams um, to give us that, that, that edge heading into, into the, to the spring matches. So I feel like it very much is just, dartboard spinning and you're just gonna go and it's just kind of like let's <laughs> no, see if that fits. there is a there is a there was a little bit of a method method to the madness i mean chloe i mean to be honest with you i mean chloe had tremendous successes before she came to school and mm-hmm. doubles you know won the french open with, with emma navarro up at, up at virginia and, and um you know is, is a great doubles player and i feel like you know whoever we we put chloe with for the, you know they're gonna 
they're going to be top five, top 10 in the country. And, um, you know, but that's, that's not enough for us. You know, we, I don't, uh, we're not looking for a, a doubles NCAA champion, you know, we're looking mm -hmm. to be able to, to, to win as a team. And so, um, but there definitely was a method to what we were doing and, yeah. and, um, you know, uh, forsaking the individual results is something that we had talked about with, uh, with the doubles going into the fall. And, you know, I, I assume, I think ITA rankings come out sometime maybe this week and, you know, we won't have any doubles teams ranked and that's okay. I mean, we we're going to give ourselves, if we have the right teams and the, and the right combinations, we're going to give ourselves plenty of opportunities with the schedule that we play. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, not really worried about the, the, that, the individual ranking side of it at all, but, but kind of doing what's best for our team moving forward. 35 and 13 overall in doubles in the fall. That's not too bad. 73% win percentage. I'm sure you'll take it. I'm sure you're like, wasn't 75. That's a little low. Um, but you know, <laughs> you look, you bring in Aliza from Wake Forest and she's yeah. been top 100 in the nation in singles and doubles before. And obviously you always appreciate when someone comes into Michigan and take someone like an Ellie Coleman, always a fan of the, you know, all things Michigan here. Uh, yeah. Emma Jackson comes in as well. And, you know, the three of them, I believe go a combined 22 and 15, <clears throat> excuse me, during the fall in singles and obviously part of all of the success in doubles as well. How have they fit in? And again, you look at last season, depth was something you struggled with. It feels like this year, all eight players, you can throw them. I mean, sure, there's some delineation between the top three who you think you know just based on how they've returned. But you've got five options now for those bottom three spots in singles. How has that depth manifested itself in the competition and practice? And what are you seeing from the, from the newcomers? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, all three have been, been great and all three bring different, different strengths to us. And, um, Aliza brings a lot of experience from wake and, you know, she played anywhere from really from one to four in her time there and was a, was a really good doubles player actually beat us, um, in the, the round of 16 of the NCAA tournament this past year or round of 32, um, we beat Chi and Chi and Billiken. And so, um, you know, she, she brings a lot. I think if you actually look at those numbers a little, little in, more in depth from, from the fall, Emma Jackson probably had the best wins across the board of anyone on our, on our team this fall, um, as far as ranked wins goes. And, and, um, you know, any freshman that comes into our program, I think they're trying to prove themselves right away. And, um, Emmy, um, I mean, I got them mixed up. I got them confused. I have too many. E's, like you said, Emma yeah, and Ellie, yeah. um, they're, they're both going to play huge roles in the success of our program. I mean, Ellie's a, Ellie reminds me a lot of, um, uh, I mean, a great player in our program, but, but Beatrice Capra and, and, mm -hmm. you know, loves to, loves to be on the court um, to the point where, where I joking with her, I said, I need to take your rackets away from you and, and you need a day off here. And, um, you know, she was hindered a little bit this fall by coming in and out. She, you know, started off the fall playing the U S open juniors and then followed that up with, you know, she wanted to keep playing some of the, the, the ITF circuit events out there. And so, um, you know, she didn't get as much, integration with our team early and and um you know but but you know they're they're all going to play tremendous roles in what we do i see all of them being being huge competitors and 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 being huge contribution to the success of our team um you know and don't be surprised if if some of them are, are break into that that top three like i said i you know you know we may the the lineup and i've told them this the lineup we start the year with a hundred percent, I can guarantee you, isn't the lineup we're going to end the year with. And um, it's just how we do things, giving people different opportunities in different places and kind of, like I said, accepting and, and knowing their roles. And 
their roles are for, for all three of them are going to be massive moving forward. And, you know, they, they all bring, you know, whether it's the international experience, the collegiate experience, the junior experience, whatever it is, I mean, they've all had, had great wins across the board. And, you know, we, for us to, to be um, as good as we want to be and have the year that we, we think we can have, um, you know, those three are, are going to play massive roles in what we do. Mm-hmm. How much easier, nicer, et cetera, has it been for you, all of the adjectives, to have a full fall once again here in 2021? How frustrating was it last year? Do you feel like your team is just further up to speed? We are. It's, it, it was interesting fall in, in talking to our team a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think if you look at our, our records, we had the fall that we that we wanted to have, to be honest with you. I think that we um, let some matches get away. I think that when you're looking at our total, you know, win loss record on the fall, I don't think it was, it was up to the standard that, we, that we've had. And um, the way we set up our fall this year was was basically a tournament, a week off, a tournament, a week off, every other week have, having events. And mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was important that we got some match play. And in and, and talking to them, they were talking about how, how different this fall was. And and I said, look, I've been doing this 25 years. This this is a normal fall. And I what I didn't realize with this with this team especially was that we had five people on this team this fall that had never been on campus in the fall before yeah you know and so um and even the spring when you have classes the way we we did all our classes were were zoom classes last year we had five more than half our team was going to class for the first time you know in person um, class in person with the two freshmen with aliza drummy um had not been in class uh, at duke and and baron kova hadn't and, um, you know, I don't think I, I personally did a, a good job of taking that into consideration with what we were, what we were doing. I just looked at it like, great, here we go again. I can get back to the normal fall that we've had scheduling all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, you know, I think the freedom that our girls had last fall without having, um, the travel without having classes affected our fall a little bit this year and, and, and in no way I'm making excuses for them and, and and but but in looking at it, I think that it was it was a much different fall. I've never had where we're going, especially we've had five kids who've never been to a class before, you know. And and it was, um, you know, it definitely. I think it definitely showed in our results a little bit. There's, you know, the, there's the academic side of Duke and academic side of a lot of places, you know. And and so, um, you know, I think that 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 they had to kind of relearn how to manage themselves and manage that remanage their their time management skills and, and that kind of stuff that kind of um you know got it got away from them a little bit having that that freedom and so um you know it's, it was exciting for us it was great to be able to get out and compete it was great to be able to get out and try new double teams not against each other in, in practice <laughs> situations and, yeah. and all that but but um you know i'm looking for for um, you know, and just looking at the numbers of it, I don't think we had, had the best fall that we that I can say we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, and again, this gets to some of the broader uh, questions I wanted to ask. What is the role of the college tennis fall? And I know this is something that's being discussed frequently in college tennis circles because if the purpose of the fall is to pre- best prepare for the team dual match season come the spring, 
why isn't everyone just playing hidden duels in the fall? And obviously the SEC men's conference in particular played a ton of hidden duels last fall. That's really all that was available to them. And they all offered rave reviews on that process. And we've seen, you know, hidden duels emerge throughout the country as it is the best facsimile you can get to a dual match prior to the start of the season. What do you think individuals, hidden duels, role of the fall? I know that's a loaded question there, but where are you with all these things? Yeah, no, I've, I, and I've sat on numerous ITA committees. I've been on the ITA board of directors. Um, I, this topic comes up so much with, with our fall because, you know, typically some of the best players aren't playing the fall events. Um, you know, I'm not going to be surprised to see the NCAA individual tournament move to the fall in the next couple of years, um, which will change the the structure of what we do. It'll change the, the, the kind of the parameters of our 144 days and how we allocate those and how we, how we use those. Um, you know, I, my mentality for the fall has always been, Hey, the individual season is, is for you guys, you know, and, and I'm looking at it this to prepare for the spring. You know, I don't, I don't care about individual rankings. I don't care about individual doubles rankings. Um, our goal is to, to do everything we can to put us in the best possibly place we can be in come January. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of programs do, do things differently and, but that's just how we've chosen to, to run our program. If kids want to go play some professional events, we, we've allowed that. We've encouraged that. We've told them, you know, right from the, the recruiting process and the start of the recruiting process, this is something that we, that we do, we allow, we, 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 and it does no benefit really for you on the college side, right? You know, you can, you can play these events. Yes. It's match play. It gives you kind of a different look um, at maybe some people that you wouldn't see normally, but, but at the end of the day, our goal is to do everything we can for, for, to prepare for this, for the spring and not, not worry. If you have results, if you have a, a great 15 or a great 25 or you win the all American or, or something like that. That's great. That's a, it's an unbelievable accomplishment, something that no one can, nobody can take that away from you. Something to be tremendously proud of. We're proud of it as a, as a program, but that doesn't guarantee success in the, in the spring, you know? And so that's, you know, we got into college tennis. You guys came here to be on a team and be a part of a team and, and, um, we're going to use the fall to build as a team in order for the spring. And so, um, you know, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I think you're going to, if they do make that move to, to moving the individual tournament to the, to the fall, you're going to, falls are going to change. You know, the fall tennis is going to change. You're not going to have kids. Maybe a kid comes in in January who, who you know, is you know, now they're going to, they're going to, you know, for that person, that emphasis might be the individual tournament. You never know. And, and so um, I understand why they're doing it. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the mindset of the fall, it may be, may be changing in the next couple of years. Yeah. To me, it makes sense to move the individual tournament to the fall because then the individual season has purpose. And I had a coach. It's going to be public. So I suppose I can throw him under the bus here. Josh Goffey who was like, I would just reimagine it completely. He said, I think the fall should be the team, and then let's use the spring for individual developmental so that when there's all these summer pro events and all these summer events that these kids are all playing, they're best prepared to do that. And, I, you know, again, it's a different – I had one coach suggest, I forget who, a basketball calendar where you start the team in November and you go, you know, November, December, January, February, team tournaments, March.
March, and then you have April and May to do all of your individual stuff. And again, all of these ideas appeal to me because right now I don't really know what the fall is. Like I I don't – and this is why it's constantly discussing to get 50 percent of college coaches to agree on anything is just never going to happen. Talk about – there's the only thing more polarized than the American electorate is college tennis coaches on any sort of issue. Um, (laughs) But it's just – it is again to hear you say those sorts of things. That's a, a sentiment that's been echoed. Is it's just like we know we want to prepare our team for May success. It's just we yeah. want to win a team title, and I don't know if the fall is best position to help prepare coaches to do that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say Josh stole my. Remember, Josh was an assistant coach here for Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so years ago, I wrote. When- I was on the ITA committees and and um, the ITA board of directors. I wrote an entire proposal about flipping the seasons. Sure. And and um, you know if you look across the board, also in in doing that, it makes a, a lot of sense. It makes financially, it makes a lot of sense. Um, they say tennis is an outdoor sport. We play you know a ton of matches indoors in our conference, going up to Syracuse, up to Boston College. Mm-hmm. Um, you take the whole Big Ten, and most of those matches get played get played indoors in the spring. You flip those seasons, you can play outside in September. Yeah. You know, you can play outside in in October, and um, you could you could manipulate the schedules a little bit, and and out you'd play a lot more outdoor tennis in a dual match season if you flip the seasons for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, bring them back early, like like our women's soccer does, and and or start football. you know the, yeah. yeah, and start the week or two before classes start, and and have your NCAA championships that that Thanksgiving week, and you're not missing as much class, and and um, that allows the other the other benefit does it allows your seniors to have a semester, maybe the seniors that aren't going on to play play sure. professional tennis have a normal senior year, and yeah. and um, we're we're one of the only sports where the kids do not get one semester where they're, they're normal quote, normal students, you know, and, and um, by flipping the seasons, you can do that. And then you can work with your younger kids on a developmental side in the, in the spring and have some events building into the, the summer tournaments. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say, like I said, I'm not going to say Josh stole my idea, but, but he was an assistant <laughs> here when, when, when I was, was doing that. And so maybe the subconsciously he had those, those thoughts in his head from, from 15 years ago when, when he was here, but, but um, you know, it makes a lot of sense and, and it gives purpose to, to both seasons. Um, you know, I, if a kid wants to leave after the fall and go, go play stuff in the spring, then go. Yeah. You know, and and um, there aren't as many professional events in the fall for these kids to play. And you know, we could we could easily easily starting in in August get get our get through our season and in, into November and 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 play the NCAA championships outdoors somewhere. And you know, in Florida in the Southwest. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the the Orange Bowl the next week. It's supposed to be 85 degrees on Monday. I mean, you can be playing outside. Yeah. You know, and, and get this thing done. And and um, I think from from the development standpoint, it's something that that they should, should consider. And so many people are traditionalists and, oh, you can't. It's sacred. You can't touch that. And, yeah. you know, I think we have to be a little bit more forward thinking as coaches and as an or as an organization. And that's something that I would I would be behind 100 percent is, is looking to do that. Interesting. This and this is a sentiment I'm seeing emerge as well. And I'm curious where you are, the two-week NCAA, three-week, four-week, whatever tournament. Thankfully, there's no income tax in Florida. Otherwise, we'd all be paying it at this point. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, it, 
I mean, so a, a counter is, and I, from one coach, and I think we're going to have him on the podcast tomorrow. So Adam Schachterly would tell you that yep. if you move the individual away from the from the team tournament, you lose the atmosphere, the allure. When all the players, all the coaches are in town for Saturday, Sunday, and it's just it is a special environment in the final. Now, yep. one alternative a coach offered to that is well, just um, you know have a coaches convention that second or that second weekend and all the coaches are still in town and yeah you lose some of the players uh but it's still going to be a special environment i think jeff wallace said we'll just put it in georgia every year because georgia's always <laughs> a special environment i was like yeah you'd yeah. like that wouldn't you jeff um but you know where are you in terms of separating those two events i know you've alluded to it but it's it's just a slog it really is and i don't know if that's the most efficient way or the best way to do things yeah no i mean i've in the past we've gone on a a 19 day road trip heading into that thing. And, yeah. and um, you know, we're fortunate here that we, we end school in the end of April and, and we're not in exams and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, but it's a grind. I mean, it, it's honestly a grind. And when, especially when you're going through the team tournament, um, you know, if you, if you're fortunate enough to be, to be in the past couple of years, one of the last year, the final 16 or, or one of the final eight teams, um, it's a, it's a long event and it, it gets, I mean, we've tried to do different things to kind of, spice it up is the wrong word but we'll change hotels halfway through it or you know do do different things like that and try to get ourselves in a in a different environment and the toughest day of the individual tournament i tell our kids who when we've just been beat in the team tournament is that first day yeah. you know you don't have your teammates there supporting you you don't have that same mindset of of having to to win for your team and you have to kind of flip that immediately and and you know kind of become selfish again and and you're there for for yourself and and um you know it's it's tough it's it, it is a grind and um you know solutions that that you know i i like what 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 adam said or i like what you know i'm not not a fan of going to georgia every year like, like <laughs> jeff said but but there's ways that they can build up the attendance you know i i've talked to the people at the usda um you know, I, I think you have a massive junior tournament that week of sure. They have enough courts there. Have a massive junior. That's what, you know, our women's soccer, women's soccer NCAA tournaments in Cary um, this year. And, and um, oh, sorry, the men's soccer tournaments NCAAs in Cary this year and down the street from us. And they have the largest junior event in the country going on in surrounding areas. And women's soccer did it last year. And, you know, the hotels and the airport and are filled with these these junior soccer players and, and they all come in and they have their club stuff going on, but then they go and watch the games. And, you know, there's no reason if we're at a spot like Orlando, you know, they couldn't do something like that and have a huge event going on. And, you know, they're, they're trying something interesting coming up in a couple of years with all, all divisions down there for the, for the championship. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see what that, that kind of brings. And I personally, the one, the, the, the change I'd like to see made is going to a permanent site. You know, I think that that will, that would, you know, maybe not the first year or do something, but, but you look at what a baseball's done or you look at what a softball's done and, you know, going to a, going to a permanent site and, you know, you don't want to get tied down to an Orlando, but Orlando is a great site for, for something like that, where you have the built-in practice facility and, um, you know, you have the, the infrastructure there with, uh, with the airport of flying everywhere nonstop in the country. And it's easy to get to and tons of hotels and tons of restaurants and, you know, you talk about the, the, from a coach's perspective, for me, the easiest thing is when the practice courts are right there and you yeah. can warm up right there. And, you know, even, you know, a place like Georgia where you have to warm up at another facility and drive to, you know, then go drive and play your match. It's just, it's not, it's not easy. And so, 
Um, you know, I, I think if I were serving on an NCA committee, the one thing I would really look into is, is the permanent site kind of idea. I know, you know, they're building a great place in Memphis, maybe, or maybe down the road that that's a place that's more in the middle of the country with, with 24 outdoor and 12 indoor that, that maybe that we could look at. So Tulsa, Tulsa, literally middle of the country. Although Tulsa in November, yeah, okay, I, okay, yeah, it, it's podcast form, so I won't say that, but yes, I, I see the symbol. Um, no, it's this is by the way why I labeled you at the top returning champion because I knew this would be fun to pick your brain about these sorts yeah. of things, and you know, again. Gets into some of the broader things, uh, you know, formatting. We've now settled on no ad scoring, and I actually think no ad scoring has settled in well. Like I really do. I think people enjoy it. I think there is the spontaneity to it all, and this gets me to some of my funkier format questions for you. And I apologize. I think we're going to go over the hour mark, so I'll try no, to get through these quickly. Um, I think you lose – so the doubles point, in my opinion, is the best 40 minutes in tennis, period. I don't care. Wimbledon final, Grand Slam final, year-end finals, whatever you want to name. It's a 40-minute Russian roulette rat race. Every point matters. It's only three courts, so you can monitor everything at once as a fan, and it's not completely overwhelming. And there's just an excitement and an energy to it. And then it ends. And you have, you know, smart coaches, and I apologize, listeners are going to keep hearing this, but smart coaches feed pizza to the crowd, right, to keep them engaged. But that said, the next 35, 40 minutes, you know, yeah, it's first sets, but it doesn't really matter. And there's just a lull in the energy. The idea I keep coming back to is just simultaneous starts. Like the idea, start everything at once, whether it be one doubles match, four singles flights, everything's worth one, or even the idea of just going back, play singles first, and then make every doubles match worth one, and you only get to it if you need to play it. But let's say it's 4-2 and there are three doubles rubbers still out on the board. Then that 40 minutes becomes that much more heightened in excitement. Like I just – we lose that excitement in, in no doubt with in that lull. And I'm curious if you feel that and your thoughts on it. Back to my back to my younger, um, again, ITA days. I, I did another <laughs> presentation on the simultaneous format. I think that that right there solves a lot of problems. I think it shortens matches for, for you know, whether it's digital TV, linear TV, however you want to do it. You can play you can play two of those in a day. Um, you can have the excitement, like you said, every going on all at once, the four, whether it's four plus one, mm-hmm. um, how you do your lineup is is a massive thing in a simultaneous you know do i take a, someone like a chloe back who's proven that she can win in in you know in the biggest singles arenas and you know who's been has has top 10 wins in singles and use her in singles or do I use her in a doubles match because i know she's a great doubles player i mean there's so much more strategy involved in the in a in that four plus one and how you do your lineup and who you choose to play and you know do you recruit just double specialists mm-hmm. um you know are you allowed to play the same doubles teams two days in a row maybe you're not maybe you, maybe there are rules where you have to you have to make changes so you're not pigeonholing kids into certain spots um you know and and we go and we play a nc state or a unc and i have no clue what they're going to do with their doubles mm-hmm. you know if, if you're playing that simultaneous format and so um, I think I think at the end of the day, that's the answer. Um, whether it's ad, no ad, whether it's whatever it is, but I think you know, two two and a half hours at the most. Mm-hmm. 
you're you're on the court off the court you know we're not playing these uh, we've been a victim of it um you know we're not playing these NCAA matches till one in the morning in in Orlando doing that yeah well you know I, I kind of like the three in the morning though because it you know you had the three minute rain delays where it would sprinkle yeah. so hard for like 20 seconds and it's like no everyone off but then three minutes later yeah. you're back on you didn't yeah. love that start and stop yeah I liked it the year before last time we were in Orlando yeah when we, 2019 we <laughs> South Carolina, we I get back to my hotel at three in the morning and have to play Georgia that afternoon without a day off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but but I think that I think at the end of the day, the only format to accomplish everything we're looking for is simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it's just I, I think it's it's quick. I'm not I'm not into shortening stuff. I'd like to stay everything two out of three. Um, I wouldn't mind if you played two out of three and went back to the deuce ad. To be honest with sure. you. Um, but I think I think whether it's four one or whatever you come up with uh, as that format, um, I think that's the the best the best format for for college tennis moving forward and and the best product we would have. I mean, other sports have been innovative and changing. Like volleyball completely changed their scoring system, right? And mm-hmm. and um, trying to trying to do everything we can to to um, be innovative and move forward. I think that's so. I think people are just, are are scared to try it. I mean, we, we used to use, honestly, we used to use the national team indoors as a place to try different formats and different scoring systems and, and that kind of stuff. I, I would love to see a, a national team indoors going a simultaneous format one year um, and just seeing what happens. Um, you know, ultimately I figure, you know, the best teams usually come out and, and figure out a way to, the way to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I would love to see something like that. Yeah, no, that would be, so for me, why I think it's even more fun if you do one doubles, four singles, uh, would be in, incorporate the substitution. The players who are playing doubles, they finish their match, they can sub into singles. Or you get one substitution where you can sub one player in and out of those four singles matches. Just make it that much more enjoyable. The other thing I'm in for, lawless lineups. Where, look, you're all, you're all, every coach, I say it lovingly, you know, they're gonna, there's going to be some lineup chicanery. There's going to be some Michigas across the board. What I say is let's just make it all about the home team. So beforehand, and maybe you got to do it if we keep the current format, here are my top three, here are my bottom three, but let the home team match up however they deem fit and just roll the balls out, let's play. Well, uh, women's golf, I don't know if you're familiar with how they do their NCAA tournament. It goes from stroke play down to match play. Mm-hmm. The match play, they sit up there uh, at a table. Our, our women's golf set coach says playing number one is this person today. And the opposing coach says that person for us is going to play number one playing number two is this person. Then I can pick who plays number two. Um, I, I would love to see that. Or I've even thrown out the idea of, uh, of totally random, you know, we go play, you know, uh, I'm, we're, I'm so familiar with UNC. We see them all the time. So we go play UNC and you pull out of a hat and you have Kelly Chen playing Crawley on court one. Court two, you in, in court two, you have you know Barankova playing Graham on court two, you know, and and yes, you you have some matches based on results where people be fair, but you would think it would it would even out. I, would, I mean, it'd be fun to try something like that. I don't you know I don't know how something like that would work a total random, but I love the idea of hey, this is who's playing one for us, who's playing kind of they call it match play. Let, let let's that's really what we're doing in, in tennis here. Let's ma- match it up then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm in. 
you you have my attention. And I think the, the home crowd gets engaged as well. So who doesn't like that? The other thing I think the home crowd would love, get rid of the coin toss. We're better than that. We can be more creative. <laughs> One point, head coaches, head-to-head. Oh. You're over 50. You can have your assistant play. Come on. There winning coach gets to decide the serving arrangements. How did how do we not just do that? That's way better. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I like I, uh, I'll take my lefty kick. I'll, I'll go with my lefty kick serve. In reality, it's just who gets to the net first because, like, none of you are making passing shots at this stage. Uh, yeah, you know, the bending's not happening. It's going to be uh, a lot of half volleys. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Or we do rock, paper, scissors just because you know someone, Ty Tucker, is going to have the meeting like, look, 40% of the time paper wins. It's the mathematical advantage. We throw paper here at Ohio State. And it's just like (laughs) I just want to document that meeting. Um, There you go. Yeah, those are the little things. Uh, All right, some some other ones before I let you go. Recruiting-wise, NIL. How do you think it factors in moving forward? I know very much is still unknown, but it's it's going to play a role, right? Yeah, it is going to play a role. And um, actually, Ram, men's coach here, Ramsey, and I were talking about it this morning. And, and um, you know, you've got to give these kids um, the opportunities, you know, and, and um, you know, it's it's I'm it's hard. I'm, you know, like we've we've. Said a few times here, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit older and, and, and seen so many changes and, and these changes coming up are just dramatic changes, you know, and they can go teach lessons, they can go do this, or they can, um, you're starting to see on, on social media, some, some gravitating away from basketball and football and some of these other sports where a sport like tennis and um, some kids have done some, some great jobs and Peyton Stearns is one, you know, obviously that comes to mind and and um you know and and marketing themselves and putting themselves in a in a position to to capitalize and and um you know i think they should definitely should be allowed to do that and and um you know i'm hoping that that our kids get a little bit more involved with it i mean i I think we've done some some little things here and there and small things here and there and you know we had no name i'm not gonna Janine, we had a girl talking about she wanted to go buy a car this 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 fall and i said go to the dealer and say hey you'll do six Instagram ads and, and see what they'll do for you. Like, and just throw it out there. And she was like, really, I can do that. And, you know, I think the education of what they can do and what they can't do, and it's starting to pop up obviously with, with recruiting a lot more, you know, and, and as coaches, we walk that fine line of what we can do, what we can't do, what we can promise and, and what we can't promise. And, you know, I saw the, the piece, I'm sure you saw that with the BYU football and they have this, mm-hmm. this guy who's, who's paying for all their walk-ons to go to school now. And as long as they, you know, it's a energy bar company and, and um, you know, so there, there's money out there and there's opportunities out there and it's finding them and kind of finding your, 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 your right area and niche and and what you want to promote. Mm -hmm. Last two questions for you and both relating to recruiting transfer portal versus traditional find a freshman, develop them, et cetera. How do you balance those two things? Obviously right now it's, more pronounced, more heightened, given the five classes four years. I also think there is a long-term positive, despite the negatives that, you know, yes, now if you don't like your situation, it's just easier to move. And dealing with yeah. adversity is part of life. And just it's a little, yeah. you know, you don't have to deal with that. That's obviously the negative. That said, I do think there is a long-term benefit to destigmatizing transferring, that it's not just a bum program, a bum coach, a bum player, that yeah. sometimes it's just not the right fit. And it's good for us to accept that. That said, how do you balance those two things, recruiting for the future versus knowing, hey, we can go get a Georgia drummy. Let's go do it. 
Yeah, I, it's definitely a fine balance. And you have the mindset now. A lot of coaches do well. I can always find someone in the transfer portal. There's sure. always going to be people in the transfer portal. We're, you know, one of, I'm not on a recruiting pitch here, but we've been fortunate in my my 25 years, we've never had somebody recruit or nobody, we've never had somebody transfer, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've never had that come that kid come into my office and say, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think there's life lessons that can be learned there. And and I think it, it is a little bit too easy for someone to say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. See ya. Sorry, I don't care about you. I don't care about the program. And, you know, I, I think that um, but at this on the flip side of it, there's, you know, whether it's academically, whether there's coaching changes, whether you were promised some things that, that aren't happening and, and, and that kind of stuff, you, you want to have the freedom to be able to to be able to move. And so I think the intent behind the transfer portal was great. I think um, in, in the old days when, when someone wanted to transfer and, and 10 schools knew about it and were given the release to talk to them, I think that really puts a, puts a limit on things, um, you know, and, and not really having that, that open market, which, which, you know, maybe a drummy doesn't, doesn't know we're interested or know we have a scholarship open or, or something like that. And so um, I think there has to be a way, a way to balance that um, on the flip side, you know, in, in talking to, to, to some coaches at, at Eddie Her, one coach said to me, I'm not here to recruit. I'm here to talk to coaches to see who they have leaving. Yeah. you know and that that's mind-boggling to me that was unbelievable to me for someone to that's their intent of going to a tournament was to find out who's going to be transferring so they can you know maybe get a jump on other coaches on the transfer portal and so um you know but but the NCAA has done so much on the student athlete welfare side and, and making sure everybody's happy and satisfied and and you know and that kind of thing and so um you know the the transfer portal numbers are insane in our sport and when you look across the board the thousands of kids that are just getting up and leaving and and you know maybe you don't have the the kid like i can go back to one of our teams hannah marr who her first two years didn't play but we kept saying hey trust us believe in what we're doing and ended up being you know top 10 in the country and and semifinals of ncaa doubles because she stayed with it and 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 was willing to work her way into into a lineup that kind of thing and maybe you you're going to lose out on those situations and so um and she you know personally learned a lot from that and knew that and stayed with it and, and was willing to stay with it and so um you know and 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 um so i i you know i'm i'm not a fan of it but i i i understand why they have to do it yeah i love that well with all that said you said it's not a pitch but Part of our exercise here this fall, talking with all these Power Five coaches, I want to say, give me the recruiting pitch. Why should I come down and be a Duke Blue Devil? I will say this. I applied to a lot of schools. Well, I didn't actually apply to that many. But the only school Alec- – I don't I was going to refer to myself third person – that I was rejected by, outright there, just like, eh, not happening, was Duke. So I'm not saying I hold the grudge, but I actually yeah. don't hold the grudge at all. That said, why should I come down there if I can get my academics in order? Yeah. Um, first, let me say me too, because I had no yeah. shot of getting into Duke as an undergrad. <laughs> they would have laughed me out the door. Right. Um, but um, I, I think the student athlete experience is something that we really take pride in. Um, you know, I think you're coming into an environment where you're immediately part of a family on the court, off the court. Um, you know, you're going to get the best of both worlds. Obviously, the the degree here carries so much weight, um, whether whether it's whether it's here, whether it's internationally, um, you know the the Duke brand is something that that we as coaches here talk about a lot. Coach K 
talks a lot about the Duke brand. And, and when I've, when I've had the opportunity to sit in with recruits with him and, and have them meet him, the first thing he talks about is the, the Duke brand and, and the weight that that carries uh, um, globally, you know, in, on the international name, but, but internally, I mean, we, we pride ourselves on the student athlete experience and, and seeing people grow from their, their, the time we start recruiting them to the time they graduate and, you know, the doors that are going to open from you are, are for you are second to none and doors you wouldn't even can't even imagine or wouldn't even imagine when you were a, a junior in high school and the opportunities that are going to present itself. And so, um, you know, those are those are areas that we really, really stress. Obviously, the the tennis is is tremendously important and 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 what we do as a staff and, and the individual work that we put in. But but you know, it's greater than that. It's more than that. You're making a, you're making a four-year decision and um, sorry, you're not making a four-year decision. You're making a lifetime decision. And and so, um, you know, we, we really, we were really, really um, push, push those ideas on, on the people and understanding that, that this is the future they're talking about. It's not, you know, when you're 18 to 22, but, but when you're 40 and, and 50 and, and those decisions that you're making then are because of, because of what, what has happened to you at, at Duke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sold. I'm I'm gonna apply. We would again. have taken you. Throw a skirt on and and throw a skirt on and and um and we we would have taken you. I look wonderful in a skirt, so I see no problem <laughs> with that. I told Coach Goffey because he was like, you know, I asked him, is there something to getting players? You know, he likes sixteen, seventeen. You have that extra year, right, of physical maturity, where versus an eighteen year old who's already grown into their body that much more. And I was like, you know, I was yeah. seventeen coming into school, and you totally whiffed on me. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, the the athletic upside was never there. But uh, all of that said, I could ask you 30 more questions. I'm just going to reserve the right instead to bring you back on the show once more. So, Coach. For sure. Anytime. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, obviously, you know, again, we have your team preseason number eight. We know what you guys are capable of this season. And we will be wishing you all success and health throughout 2022. So happy holidays to you and the team. And thank you again for joining us today. No, thank, thank you. And thanks. For for all you do for 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 us in college tennis as a whole and, and promoting our sport and, and getting it out there and 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 good luck to your to your boys and against iowa this weekend should be, <laughs> Thank should, be, you. should be a good one there is one perk to living in that's not true there are many perks to living in indianapolis but above all is that big 10 championships are held there you go and so it's like i'm going to the game we're gonna get the victory my uncle texted our family group chat he's like headed down to indy and i texted why are you visiting me or did something else happen and it's right. like oh yeah exactly there's something else happened but i appreciate that uh, you know, it's a different shade of blue, but go blue nevertheless. All right. Yeah, and That's thank right. you so much, Coach, for taking all the time right. to join us. Take care. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Duke women's tennis head coach Jamie Ashworth. Again, a thank you to him and to all of these coaches. I say 30, 40 minutes work. We end up going over the hour mark every time. And again, you can just tell he thinks about these issues and he served on the ITA committees. These thoughts, these conversations are happening across college tennis. It's been so revealing and fascinating to me to be able to have them and to be able to reveal them to all of you listeners as well. Would love to hear any of your thoughts. If you have anything to add, you're going to hear these questions, these conversations quite a bit over the next month you know where to find us at cracked rackets at great shot pod again thank you to jamie for taking the time to join us wishing he and his team success throughout 2022 of course i mentioned this at the top but if you want to hear more about the duke blue devils season go hop over to our great shot podcast feed john parsons and i discuss their upcoming season if you want to read more about them jay wrote about them for our website and of course you know we can you can also find our conversation on number nine texas a&m number 10 ohio state you can find our conversation conversations on the corresponding men's teams as well. It's been number 10, Kentucky, number nine, Arizona, number eight, TCU, all of that content available on the website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break Podcast, and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out. With all of that said, for our fantastic guests, Duke women's tennis head coach Jamie Ashworth, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.